From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. Hello, I'm Josh Howell, on the job at the Lean Enterprise Institute. You are listening to WLEI. Ron Kellner, the president and COO at the Dublin Company, joined me recently to talk about the lean transformation that's been underway at his company since 2008. He described how Dublin spent years learning lean deeply through the application of tools on the shop floor, changing how material and information flows through the operation, changing how value is created. In other words, changing the work. He then shared how they're building a lean business system on top of that, with human development at its core through structured problem solving that's happening throughout the company worldwide. Ron and a few of his colleagues will share even more at the upcoming Lean Summit 2020 in California on April 6th and 7th. For information about the summit and to register, you can visit us at lean.org. All right, here's my conversation with Ron. Uh, Well, so speaking of Dublin, uh, and I guess speaking of you, Ron, um, maybe you could uh, kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, the company, about Dublin. Sure. Well, um, I've been with Dublin Company 18 years now and came to them from an aerospace manufacturing company, which was uh, publicly traded. And prior to that, I was in the primary metals business. So think of a... uh, a steel mill, except we were in the brass and copper production. Mm-hmm. And when I joined Dublin, uh, it was extremely successful. It was a it was a transition from uh, retiring management to to my joining the company. So it was not a case of um, a turnaround or anything like that. Uh, the company was growing and expanding like everyone else coming out of 1999 and 2000 they had had a little bit of a setback um but we're seemingly back on track um in the in the early 2000 period when i when i joined um dublin company for those that don't know we manufacture rotating unions and slip rings and most people i'm certain don't know what a rotating union is i will count myself ma- i will count myself among those yes Joy, my family members as well. (laughs) Uh, If you think about a manufacturing process where you're delivering uh, any kind of media, whether that be air, uh, gas, Mm. steam, water, coolant, uh, in a rotational process, you can't hook the hose to it. Obviously, the hose would twist up. Um, Dublin creates that coupling that one side is stationary with the hose delivering whatever the media is to the rotating portion attached to the machine. And um, it's a a small product that's critical to all production processes. So whether you're um, having wind turbines on the highway, controlling the pitch of the blades, uh, cooling the rolls in a steel mill, or polishing the glass on your mobile device. Um, it's used just about in every manufacturing process. So we're a small maintenance product uh, used in virtually every industry. We have five manufacturing facilities. The U.S. Uh, headquarters is just north of Chicago, as you mentioned, in Waukegan, Illinois. We have two plants in Europe, one at, uh, just outside Frankfurt mm-hmm. and one in Bologna, Italy. 
And then in Asia, we have one manufacturing plant in Dalian, China, and a smaller manufacturing facility in Sao Paulo, Brazil, supporting um, a number of sales offices around the globe. So that's that's kind of Dublin in a thumbnail. Okay. And, and, um, and you have responsibility for, for Dublin globally. So I guess yes. they're traveling to these, uh, these various sites around the world and uh, yeah. supporting those teams uh, in those locations. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, here we are uh, on the WLEI podcast, uh, the official podcast of the Lean Enterprise Institute. So presumably uh, we are going to talk about lean thinking at Dublin. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the reason for our conversation. Um, I hope so. So why don't you tell us about, um, about what's been happening uh, with Lean Thinking at Dublin? Sort of when, when was the company introduced to it, or you, when were you introduced to it? Uh, what was the reason uh, that it was an attractive uh, sort of business mindset, business thinking way? Uh, and, yeah, I'm, and I'm happy to. Cool. I'm happy to because it's, um, it's kind of an interesting transition because in many cases, when you hear about companies with their lean journeys, and this includes Toyota, mm. um, they're, they're in desperate straits that, that force them to say, we have to look at our business totally differently. And as I mentioned in, in my overview on Dublin Company, it was a very successful company, um, really from its founding moving forward in 1945, all the way up to when I joined. As privately held, we were very paternalistic. We um, took a great deal of pride in our long-term employees, and we have excellent employees, no question about that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, was an observation to me was that we were very uh, people dependent in our processes. Mm -hmm. In other words, if we had to make a critical part, oftentimes we, we would wait for whomever, Josh, Dwayne, Bob, Sally, Susie, to be there to do that production because they were quote unquote the expert, the expert. of that. They know how to do it, nobody yeah. else did. And, and pretty dependent on, exactly. on, that, on that expertise. And, and, and honestly, that was wonderful as the company grew to a certain size. Hmm. Um, when I joined, um, you know, I had had a little bit of background through the 80s, 90s um, on the whole quality systems. So, you know, as the advent of the ISO certifications and mm -hmm. the various automotive qualifications, I, I certainly saw the benefit of a quality system that linked the processes together more in line with how the customer saw it. Um, but early, my early years with Dublin, 2002 to 2008, we, we really started down the quality system path. We started looking at um, ways to continue to support our growth. And we, we went down the path of automation, mm. right? We, we couldn't make enough parts and um, we were buying machines virtually every year to add to our capacity. Um, Had that been a practice that preceded you joining or, or this was um, something you were kind of introducing as, as the, the... The automation really came with me because hmm. um, one of the issues I recognized and I shared with the board of directors, you know, we had a maturing workforce mm -hmm. and we needed to figure out a way to make a transition where we could increase the productivity of the company um, without being dependent upon people that were retiring at an accelerating rate. 
Okay, so one way to um, deal with that would be to, to rely more on machines uh, than, than on, on those people, those experts, as you said. Well, that was the early thinking. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, in 2008, this was before the crisis that you know crippled the world in the fall of 2008. Sure. In the spring of 2008, um, we had had some you know events where we had created uh, unmanned production that we could run X thousand pieces over a course of a week. And without fail, we'd come in on Monday morning and we'd find four or 500 pieces either bad or requiring Defects. rework mm. because, you know, the machine, the tool broke, whatever the issue might have been. And, and that was pretty apparent to me that no matter what the quality system looked like or how effective the automation or the QC um, inspection processes were, it, it wasn't working. And so that was really when I started trying to figure out different paths. Okay. And I had the opportunity to read the Toyota way. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a few things that really struck me about that because, you know, again, we were a successful company that had a very uh, high degree of organizational trust, um, high degree of uh, camaraderie amongst the organization. I was always concerned that I didn't want to disrupt the culture. And the more I, I started to learn about TPS hmm. and the base philosophies of TPS, I thought this could have application uh, for Dublin Company. That's really interesting. So, I, I, I had kind of a similar experience where uh, it was around the same time uh, working for Starbucks then, but but also a, a culture, you know, that had been even memorialized um, in books and articles about the company that that was really good. Uh, people felt yeah. felt quite good about the, the culture um, and had a similar, I guess, uh, belief when we were exposed to, to TPS, to lean thinking, uh, that, that um, it seemed consistent with the good culture that we had already um, and, and also had some promise to help us with you know, some of the problems that we were, we were facing again at that time, 2008, uh, almost, the, almost right. the exact same time frame. Huh. Well, we, it, you know, it was a case where you know, we have conscientious employees and we have a high degree of just what I call organizational trust. The, the management trusts the employees to try and do the right thing and, and vice versa. The employees are counting on the management to be doing the right thing. And and so I was very conscious about jeopardizing that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and we've all seen it where you chase the flavor of the month mm -hmm. um, for some panacea. And, and I didn't want to go down that path. So I exposed my management team, which was at the time probably about eight people, to the book, gave them two or three weeks to read it. And I said, if you don't read it, here it is on CD, listen to it in your car on, on, the, on your back and forth to work. CD, um, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right, out of, the, out of the past. I'm starting to date myself, but anyway. Um, it was only 2008, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, pretty, that's pretty, a long pretty time pretty. ago in some people's mind. Yeah, I think that's um, right. But it was one of those things again where I needed to make sure that the team understood if we started down this path, we didn't really want to deviate from it. Hmm. They came back, we had a positive conversation and, and we really started to target a small group. We brought in probably um, eight to 10 people. 
not necessarily in a job function that was tied to any activity on the shop floor. Hmm. I remember we brought in one young lady out of a county. Okay. And what we were really looking for were people that were willing to say, we can do it different. Hmm. The, the thing that we didn't want to say was, oh, we've tried that before. Sure. And, and so we were looking for more open-minded than we were technically knowledgeable. But were these eight to 10 people connected in any way? So you've got the, the gal from accounting, uh, the other, whatever, seven or nine well, people. Well, we were all, we were all <laughs> based in Waukegan. Okay. Right? And when they came in, we kind of introduced the idea. And, and it, not everybody was from outside departments. We took people directly from machining, directly from assembly. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had the whole manufacturing uh, organizational chain involved. Okay. I will come back to that. that those people probably had the hardest stretch. Mm. You know, so there was a couple of us that, at the, I, I hate to say at the top, that were driving this, mm -hmm. and the people on the shop floor were very receptive. Okay. The change really was difficult in that connecting those two, two extremes. Sort of in the middle there. And, um, but anyway, to boil it down, we really started in with the basic tools of lean thinking. We wanted to try and make uh, the demand visible. We wanted to try and drive towards one piece flow. Mind you, this is right on the tails of me buying automation to make thousands of pieces. Mm. Now I'm, I'm starting to talk about one piece flow. Um, and and that, was a, that was a challenging um, period for us. But the people, honestly, everyone engaged. And we used the philosophy of let's run an experiment. You know, because there were plenty of times people would come to me saying, Ah, you know, we're ruining whatever we're doing. And, and we adopted for whatever reason, it, it felt non-threatening to say, let's run an experiment. You know, if, the, if no one's gonna get hurt, the building doesn't burn down, there's virtually nothing we can't reverse in a week or two. So, so that was, I'm, I'm curious, but can I uh, interrogate that just quickly? So the, 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 that kind of phrase, let's run an experiment, or even just the concept of experimentation. Um, mm -hmm. So, so with Dublin, that concept was a part of uh, this practice from from the beginning, from two thousand eight. Yes, and I, I I will tell you why. We wanted it to very much be our system, very localized, and we we avoided the use of uh, the very typical Japanese terms. Now we're much more comfortable with it today, mm -hmm. ten years, mm -hmm. eleven years down the road, um, but at the time. We, it was more about making the people comfortable and and introducing Genji Gembutsu or Kaizen or um, Pickett. It just seemed sure. to be, add one more complexity that we didn't need to do. So there's the there's the existing culture you you mentioned that was good and healthy and and from your uh, standpoint you know didn't want to do anything to disrupt it. Um, uh, there were some issues. So that the um, move to automation, the fact that automation was being applied to sort of a big batch production approach uh, and the yep. corresponding defects. So I'm, I'm sure there was some frustration that folks felt uh, when they would come in Monday morning, <laughs> uh, find yep. all these all these defective parts. Um, and with the, I guess, group sort of recognizing that, that there were some problems to solve uh, with a good 
organizational culture with, as you said, trust between management and, and frontline folks, um, and a desire to both learn something new but not, not be disruptive. Um, that, that sort of concept of experimentation versus like an implementation, right? So here's this, yeah. this system from somewhere else, <laughs> uh, Japan, I guess, in this case. Um, and what we're not trying to do is just implement that thing, but to experiment with it, to explore how it might work here. We have problems, yep. right? No, no disagreement right. there. Um, and, and also, we have a lot to be proud of. Um, yeah. And so how do we kind of, uh, I guess, recognize both of those things? One of the things that, a couple of things. You said we had problems. We did. We had two different problems. Um, we had growing inventory um, with poor service level, mm -hmm. which is really the banner we built our communication to all of the employees around because they could see it. They could understand that. Um, at the board level, the conversation was we have a maturing workforce that at any given day, you know, and up until the fall of 08, the stock markets were rising and people were looking at retirement. So at any given day, we could have a significant brain drain organizationally mm -hmm. for the company. Mm -hmm. So when, when we talked about experiment, it, it diffused the the feeling for the supervisors to say you're doing it wrong right all the way up through the vice president of manufacturing who had been here at that time 35 years we didn't want to say you're doing it wrong right which is if we come in and do quote unquote best practices that meant your practice wasn't best totally that's right and and the other portion of it was experiments have an implication of an end date we're going to run an experiment so it's not permanent we're not coming in to change your world forever typically and i would say 99.9 percent .9 of the time um the experiment was successful to some degree of closing our gap to target condition and therefore whatever it was we were experimenting on was embraced and and you know and then we moved on kind of the next phase but it, a lot of the early days was really to create a non-threatening um, and also we were migrating from a, a very directive management style. Mm. You know, I've been with the company X number of years. I know how to do this job. Do it as I tell you. And um, that, you know, that's not consistent with the idea of putting in a lean process and really hearing what the problems were. You know, there's, there's I'll, I'll go off on a tangent, a funny little story. We, yeah, we had a, uh, a lean coach come in and we stood around the new cell. So we finally, you know, one thing we were, we, we were active. Mm -hmm. So if, if we were introduced to an idea, by golly, we're going to implement the idea, <laughs> much to our default or to our own detriment. Um, but we stood around this brand new cell that we built and we way overpaid for it and it was all custom aluminum extrusions and it was it was beautiful and we stood there waiting for uh, whatever you want to call it the teacher the parent the leader to guide us and say good boy <laughs> um and they walked in and they grabbed a part and they held it up and said, and said, why bad part, and walked on. Well, at that point in time, I honestly thought our VP of manufacturing might come, come to workplace violence. Yeah. Um, you know, but in hindsight, looking back, the message there was 
uncover problems. Look for problems. Yeah, Don't totally. look for what you're doing right. Now, I will tell you, it took us years to grasp that. And I can laugh about it now, but I remember it like it was it was yesterday. Um, and that was, again, part of that evolution of culture and learning. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a really similar experience once. I, I, um, so I, th I think I've shared with you a little bit about my background. Uh, some people may know, but I was introduced to Lean Thinking. I was a store manager for Starbucks. And, you know, coffee shops have, in the morning, a, a peak period, right, where most of the customers come in, obviously on their way to work or whatever, uh, to get started for the day with a cup of coffee. And my store, we would run with um, four, it was kind of a busy store, we would run with like four baristas in the morning is what we mm -hmm. needed to handle that volume, you know. And so the team and I had done some work. It's a little bit of a different story, but similar kind of coaching moment, I guess, which is why I'm going to share it. Um, and the team and I, had, we had, you know, done a lot of improvement, a lot of Kaizen, figuring out how to really effectively operate uh, during that peak period with mm -hmm. our, our the, the number of uh, customers that were coming in and the, sure. the, the drinks that they were ordering, so on and so forth. And um, we had a visitor, uh, a lean coach, uh, maybe, maybe the same one, who knows, who... Um, I was really proud of what what improvements we had made, and that you know, with this four-person crew, we we had uh, figured out a lot of things. Um, and so they came and visited and, and observed, and and it was a fairly smooth running day. Things kind of went well, and some of the changes that we had made, right. you know, were were, I guess, on display as as good. And you know, so the the busy period ends. I go to this this coach, um, lo looking for an attaboy. <laughs> Um, yeah. maybe similar to you guys and all I got was um, what would it look like with three <laughs> exactly that's and, and it's an interesting thing because um, that was and I didn't understand it at the time I'll be honest but mm. you know in reflection of it that was where the focus was on the thinking mm. not on on the tool you know, we had built the tool, the cell, sure. and and boy, did we learn from that. You know, there there's a reason you use duct tape and cardboard the first time, right. because I bet we modified that. We still modify cells on a fairly regular basis. The other thing that we ran into, which again, I apologize for getting a broccoli patch, but you know, in the Kanban, we wanted to create this pull system. Mm -hmm. Well, we wanted very specialized kinds of racks. And so we went out and built or bought, um, I won't say custom, but they they were not cheap. Yeah. And we thought it was perfect. Well, now if you came into Dublin, you'd see every rack is on wheels because they stay in the same spot about a week. And then we decide on a better way to go after it. Um, but that, that for me now in hindsight was the first time we really changed our thinking versus just execution of you got a, uh, of, a, of a machine or a tool. Mm -hmm. You have to remember we were buying machines because machines got the work done, right? So if you build a cell, conceptually it's our machine to get the work done. Sure, different kind of machine, yeah. But the reality was what we were really trying to build was the thinking. And, mm. and you know, we've done better at that in the recent years than we did in those early days. So recognizing that um, 
okay, the, the tool, the machine, uh, to use that word, is, <coughs> uh, is an important part. And uh, the benefits of pull, the benefits of one by one, the benefits of a cell are sort of known, right? I mean, just in and of themselves, right. uh, there, is, there is benefit. Um, <coughs> but in addition to that, in addition to sort of the, the result, I guess, that you might get from, from implementing that tool, from using that, that quote-unquote machine, um, mm -hmm. There's a, maybe an intangible benefit uh, that can come too if we if we sort of build those things with flexibility, uh, and that's Absolutely. the benefit, I guess, for the the learning uh, that can happen and the the continual change through experimentation. Uh, to to return to that word, um, unless we don't set ourselves up for that, <laughs> unless we you know get these really expensive versions of the cell or the uh, or the rack or whatever, uh, in which case that flexibility is not there. And so the, the intangible benefit of learning and, I guess, the development that a team member might get wouldn't be available either. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I completely agree with you. The problem I, I had had, we, Dublin, had, hmm. was really getting to that, that transitional moment, right? Because, you know, we were making progress. And, and again, we weren't in a, um, in a dire strait. We, you know, we we were a successful company. So, trying to figure out the silver bullet, mm -hmm. right? We were looking for the special solution, and and it took probably from 2008, and we did a lot of training during the 09 crisis, and that and that was honestly it was a horrible time from a business standpoint, sure. but from a culture change and education standpoint. It was a perfect time for us to get a little breathing room to run more experiments, learn a little bit deeper what the um, what the real meaning was behind some of these things. But um, we backed away, and if you looked at a kind of a series of events, whether it was the building of that first cell and the coach telling us to focus on problems, to building all of the racks and then realizing and, and we built those racks with the idea that we were going to have this six bin system, which was a totally arbitrary decision. <laughs> but it was in order for people not to think that this was an inventory play. This was really a service performance play. Mm. And I'll tell you, it took us forever to break the idea that it, we had to have six bins. <laughs> and, and six bins was, n there was no science behind six bins. Um, but all of those small things really led to, um, I guess, for us, the discovery that we needed to create a problem-solving methodology hmm. and, and, a, and a thinking. Because while we were growing, we were growing at a, you know, and I mean growing in our lean thinking, we were growing at a relatively slow rate because we were, we were kind of waiting for each tool to mature and progress us. And at one point I was having some conversations and the feedback came back to me that, um, and this is one of the things that we'll share in the summit, mm -hmm. um, was your, your progress is directly tied to your ability to problem solve. Hmm. N the number of problems you solve and how effectively you solve those problems. And, and I have to tell you, if, if there was one moment that I walked away and said that that changed us from um, what we refer to as DPS, Dublin Performance System, mm -hmm. 
that was the day it became a performance system hmm. in my mind. Um, it was it was great before, and we, we were doing a lot of good things, but that that really transitioned us. So performance, so, I guess, in this case, the, the the performance of I think, as you said, problem solving, both in terms of quantity and quality. Well, yes, yes, but it it was we moved from a that's a production tool to this is a business tool, hmm. and and it opened us up. The, if, as I would tell you today, and I, I will, will highlight more detail in, during the, the summit, mm-hmm. um, the two areas where I spend the bulk of my time are problem solving and human development because they're directly tied. And the, the better our employees get at the problem solving, um, it just kind of unleashes the real power of the tools. But I will, I will say that, and it sounds easy, and <laughs> Right, and everybody's got a form to problem solve, but going from that broad, vague to a specific problem um, is is a challenge for everyone, mm. and maybe worse for more the management team because they like to think big, mm. and uh, and we're learning that problems are solved one by one at a very very small level. Well, another thing, so. Um... I guess if I haven't mentioned it already, uh, I can mention it now that um, that I had the opportunity, along with one of my colleagues here at LEI, to visit Dublin there in Waukegan uh, a number of months ago. And <clears throat> you just sort of mentioned the um, the idea of Lean becoming, I guess, evolving to the Dublin performance system and and um, expanding in a, in a to use that word, I guess, uh, into a business system uh, for Dublin not just a production system, uh, I guess they're on the shop floor. And, and that was one of the things that I really appreciated about the time that I, about the visit there was that, uh, of course, we had the chance to go and see, to spend time at the quote-unquote Gemba. And we started there on the shop floor. Uh, that was wonderful. I got to see the flexible cells <laughs> that we're referring to now. Um, did not see, I think we've, we've actually, we found one bad part uh, when we were walking around, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and there was a, a response to that, which was... Good to see, of course. Um, <clears throat> not a batch of bad parts, I guess I should. <laughs> no, no. Um, Hopefully, those days are behind us. That's right. <laughs> uh, but, but beyond that, um, we visited other areas too. Um, right. We got to visit areas uh, that are responsible for product development. Uh, we didn't get to visit the sales team scattered across the globe, uh, but we got to interact with some of the folks that are a part of the sales team. And you know, one thing that that I remember uh, taking away from the visit was what was that fact that that really lean thinking at Dublin has become uh, very widespread and 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 sort of definitive uh, to the business system uh, there at the company. So. You know, how did that, I guess, transition happen? What was it about um, 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 where it started? We don't have enough time experience. on a podcast to cover all of, <laughs> all of it because, you know, it's one of those things that it rarely can you really say it was one event or, or I can oh, sure, point sure, to sure. one or two or three events. Mm-hmm. It was, it was um, a slow creeping glacier of the change in our thinking. We, we got better um, at the way we looked at the business. Um, interesting. 
management historically, and I think management just in general, you know, uh, tends to sweep the problems under the rug for the next, for their boss coming in the room. Sure. And and we we didn't have a good focus on problems. We focused on the positives, and we had lots of positives. That was that was good. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, um, we also had lots of problems. And you know, as we became more of a problem-solving culture, making problems visible was was not um, a concern, a fear of the employees, whatever. It was never. It wasn't the problem. Let's talk about what's inhibiting us from going from current condition to target condition. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden, it, it changes from Ron. You're doing a bad job right? You're the bad employee, otherwise everything would be perfect to, Mm -hmm. we have a process related problem. So those, those small evolutions that took place really started to lay the groundwork for this to be a human development system. Because now, as I stand with an employee, and we're looking at a process problem, it's not that employee in trouble, it's that employee sharing their views of what problem is current condition and maybe some countermeasures that they're contemplating and that that thinking has unleashed for us really what we were referring to as our human development process Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we use it in our recruiting we use it in all of our training and um, we've spread that throughout the organization so coming back to your comments about seeing it in various areas um, once you're able to say we have problems, now all of a sudden tools that are available, whether it's A3s or simple problem worksheets, but we, we adopted A3s all the way from the top. We do our annual plan on an A3 that breaks down um, gap to target on what we consider are the three to five strategic things we want to get done in the year. Mm-hmm. And those three to five things then break down into various departmental A3s and it flows all the way down through the whole sales organization worldwide, the engineering organization worldwide, uh, marketing worldwide. And those A3s eventually flow into the shop floor uh, FMDS process. So oh. FMDS, what, all, does F, what does FMDS stand for? Floor Management Development System. And that development is is a uh, is a keyword key component to that that acronym. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I will every year we've been doing this now. Um, the A three top level strategic plan. We're probably on about our fifth year of it. And every year we get incrementally better at the way we look at it. You know, we try and make the top level A three thinking breakthrough oriented. You know what what's going to disrupt our marketplaces our customers in the next positive way we can and um that's that's been a growing process for us so um it is throughout the organization i will tell you it's at varying levels mm-hmm. of quality and implementation well so a couple of uh i guess one, one comment and then a question uh for me so a comment i guess um We've referenced a couple of times that uh, you and Dublin, uh, some some other folks from Dublin, will be with us at the Lean Summit in Carlsbad, um, and it so happens that this is not Dublin's first time presenting 
at a Lean Enterprise Institute uh, conference. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was 2012, 2013, uh, yep, maybe when, right. when you presented before. Um, and, you know, uh, I think a primary reason to invite Dublin to come back is, the, is, is this sort of uh, evolution, this expansion mm -hmm. of Lean applied at Dublin from, you know, sort of more of a, a tools focus or, or a shop floor focus uh, with with a lot of the kind of TPS tools um, there on the on the shop floor to something that now is 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 really widespread uh, throughout the company and has helped um, sort of define the company's management system and, and as you've described uh, even more expansive than that its business system um, so just to mention that, that that's that's really um, a primary uh, thing that we're excited to, to hear about at the summit is yeah, well, is that kind of evolution I guess yeah, and by no means do I hold Dublin up as the as the perfect example, but we're we're willing to share our experience, our learning. Um, it's been good for our organization, and if someone can take away some positives for their organization, I think it's a success. Yeah, so yeah. we're looking forward to it. Well, and so then I guess within that, just just to return to a point from a minute ago, um, and the <clears throat> the cultural marker, I guess. Um, Characteristic at Dublin, which uh, I think you rightly said is is a pretty common one uh, across businesses. The the tendency for management often to sweep problems under the rug uh, versus mm -hmm. versus really embrace them versus you know looking for bad part <laughs> uh, and the yeah. question and the question to why bad part uh, as your coach as your coach demonstrated. Um, I guess, is there um, an individual, maybe it's yourself, I don't know, uh, or maybe there's there's someone else who, you know, really kind of symbolizes the, the transformation, I guess, from that tendency to, to an, an embracing, I guess, of problems um, that, you know, that, that we can kind of learn from. Uh, what was it that, that helped? Um, them to become comfortable with that because that that can be a, an uncomfortable thing, right? I mean, it can be kind of yeah. feel threatening and uh, scary uh, to be to be so transparent with the fact that in your area uh, there are problems when historically uh, it's it's appeared that that's not the case. Of course, we know that there were problems uh, that maybe were just being hidden. But you know, to get comfortable with with that yeah. kind of transparency is not an easy thing. You know, so I'm certain many of the people that will probably listen to this podcast understand the fact that um, successful lean implementations really need to be not only top down driven, but they need to be organizationally embraced. So, um, you know, certainly I was probably the the instigator mm. <laughs> of mm. this disruption because. Uh, I, I was the one that came back and said we should we should try it, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's really lead by example at at all levels. So if if my response, my first response is who screwed up, versus tell me what happened, right? Then my the people that report to me start off with the word who screwed up, right? And and I don't think that's really productive. Um, you know, we, again, we have very good employees. We're fortunate in a, in a tight labor market to have the employees that we have. Um, 
And I think one of the things that we learned as we made this transition from tools to a problem solving human development organization was um, we're much more powerful if we can unleash their thinking. It's much better than anything management can put down on a, on a PowerPoint. And so, you know, early on and, and even today, um, I will drop in on problem presentations and, and I want to hear about the problems. And I, you know, that's, that's an example that one I want to set for my management group, but then I look for my management group to, to also embrace that. And, and we have, it's, it's taken a while, certainly. Um, those things don't happen overnight. But again, we were fortunate. The high degree of organizational trust hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and really the fact that no one was going to lose their jobs in this area. Um, have we found cases where um, through standards and through our training, employees aren't as successful in one position versus another? Sure. But many times those employees embrace the opportunity to change that. If they, if they understand the, the situation, they understand the metric that they're being measured against, and they acknowledge that that's um, something that they're not good at. A lot of our assembly is, is a very uh, nimble, requiring a great deal of dexterity in, in the assembly process. That's not for everybody. I certainly couldn't do our mm. assembly process. <laughs> so, you know, when we make the problem visible, Ron can't do the assembly and meet our, our tack time, but I have another opportunity for Ron over here it's it's much less threatening so mm. do i want to point at one person i think that'd be an understatement of how well the organizations embraced it to say one person led it i mean certainly everyone knows and i say it clearly i want the replacement of my job to come through our dps organization so i want but that's an expression of our commitment to that thinking right um yeah, so I guess what, what uh, you're making me appreciate uh, is <clears throat> we talked about the, the strength in organizational trust that's been a hallmark of Dublin since long before 2008 uh, and the introduction right. to Lean. And, um, and that was something you were appreciating, you know, even when you joined the company in 2002. Um, and I think I may have described, or maybe you did, uh, that that could be recognized in the trust that exists between management and folks on the front line, the folks that are creating value. But I guess you know you're making me appreciate too that there there must also be trust um, in place and and I guess being reinforced also between sort of top level management uh, executives like yourself and and the the management who's sort of more in the like quote unquote middle. Um, yeah. And that that trust is has has been really. Uh, key to um, so that those folks not I mean that that was a sort of a I guess a level in the organization that you acknowledged uh, struggled maybe a bit more at the beginning um, <clears throat> and so for there to be uh, trust again between those kind of top uh, upper levels um, sure. must have been really important too um, as demonstrated and, and, and reinforced by you know, your leadership, uh, the fact that you don't show and, up and start throwing blame at people, but get focused on, on the process and the problems. Yeah, and you know, Josh, it's one of those things, again, because now we've been at it 
um, since 2008, so it's 12 years. It's hard to believe. It's, it, it feels like it hasn't been that long, but <laughs> I, I'm glad to, glad to say it is 12 now, and hopefully it'll be 25 soon. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, though, is we migrated from the early days to much more of a problem-solving focus that grew into our human development focus. Um, we're better at recruiting people today that the leap to DPS is not as great. So, you know, by the human development aspect, we, we understand what it takes to work in our environment and it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but so while those middle managers of 2008, you know, really had a hard time grasping because what they really were, were the best operator or the best salesman or the sure, best sure. whatever. Well, they're the expert um, that you, you talked about. Exactly. Today, we're looking for much more of a change in the, in the, the approach, collaborative, uh, problem solving, constructive. We're still a very action oriented company. It's in our nature. Mm -hmm. So we don't want paralysis by analysis, but we want constructive uh, thinking. And mm. so the people that we bring in today, their ability to integrate is, is better because we're better at who we bring in. Sure, sure, sure. You know what? Sure. So, so one last thing um, sure. that I, I want to ask about, and this is something that you had mentioned to me uh, before we, we started recording. Um, sure. And you just sort of alluded to it. So, so as part of your, uh, I guess, uh, routine, um, your your uh, top management work. You just mentioned dropping in on on problem solving presentations uh, and yeah. and celebrating the fact that you know problem solving is happening. And uh, you had mentioned to me before we started recording uh, that that uh, recently you uh, awarded the problem solver of the year uh, or the problem yeah. solve of the year. I can't can't remember exactly. But, Solver. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about about that. Uh, that seems like an interesting practice there at Dublin. Well, is in an effort for us to improve our problem solving abilities, um, we've broken down uh, by departments a requirement to have a problem solving report out every week, and and a group of management. It, and it, so it it fills virtually every day of the week. There's a one hour departmental report out, and so a group of managers will attend say three different departments on Monday and then mm. three more departments on Tuesday. Um, and and then we kind of grade and score uh, the problem solving activity. And, and what we're really looking for is growth and thinking, mm. not necessarily the best, the most economical problem solving that saved X money or time or whatever. We're really looking at to grow the thinking in the organization. And so we, it's funny because the employees built their own trophy. <laughs> and so we have a problem solver of the month every month, we kind of celebrate and acknowledge and mm -hmm. uh, they get the trophy for the month. And then at the end of the year, we, we do a little celebration. We just had it yesterday afternoon um, where we call all of the employees in from both shifts and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we, call the 12 problem solvers of the month up to the front and we spend a little bit of time talking about the meaning of problem solving to the company and why it's so important and um, how you know it's been 
the positive for all of the employees. And then we acknowledge uh, the employee that's uh, the problem solver of the year and he gets a trophy and we have a plaque with, for every year with the person's name on it. And uh, this is, I, I have to be honest, this is only our second year of the problem solver of the year award, but- uh, But 24 problem solvers of the month. <laughs> yeah, but we're celebrating yeah. the idea of it. And of course, it's a nice way then for me to be able to walk past any department and say, geez, Josh, I was surprised you weren't the problem solver of the year. Are you gonna make it next year? It just to reinforce the need for that kind of thinking yeah, in our yeah. organization. It's it's no money, it's no uh, extravagance, it's just acknowledgement of the people that are really doing great thinking for the company. That's really cool to hear the emphasis yeah, on, on, on the thinking and, and the, the, the use of the, the method itself uh, versus sort of its output, I guess, the solution not being the point in a way. Uh, but instead, the the thinking and 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 the as you as you the, the word you've used growth, uh, human growth, human development uh, that that thinking sort of represents signifies. I will tell you, as as the lead of the business, it's extremely rewarding to me to see the people and the work that the people are generating using these tools. It just, I, I think it's it's the right path for Dublin. And, and so we're very comfortable with it. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks um, for today, for the conversation. Uh, thanks again for the visit a couple of months ago and, and uh, thanks in advance for the upcoming participation in the Lean Summit. Um, excited to hear more. You've touched upon a couple of the themes that you'll be, that you'll be uh, kind of focusing in on and <clears throat> I look forward to, to not just hearing from you there, but, uh, but also some other folks from Dublin. Um, well, absolutely. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, we're happy to to share this story, and hopefully, it's uh, it's got some benefit to um, some of your listeners. And that's a wrap. I want to thank Ron one more time for sharing with me, for sharing with us about lean thinking at the Dublin Company. I'm eager to hear more at the Lean Summit 2020. I also want to thank Emma Ripa, Tom Ehrenfeld, and Lori Moniz, who help with WLEI's content development and production in various ways, and the rest of the team at LEI for all that they do in support of the Lean community. Speaking of the Lean community, we'd love to hear from you. You can share your feedback. You can share ideas for future episodes. You can be in touch by emailing us at pod at lean.org. And in the meantime, I'll be working and learning on the job. Bye-bye for now.